Jesus and his disciples were in the midst of traveling, and he became very tired, and it became time for them to stop. And so they stop in a little Samaritan town, and the disciples go and try to find Jesus something to eat because he's exhausted, and he's hungry, and he's in need. And so the disciples, being good friends, being good disciples, go off to hunt down a meal for Jesus. And while they do that, Jesus goes to a well because he's thirsty. And a Samaritan woman walks up to the well, and he looks at her, and he says, give me something to drink. And she says, why in the world are you asking that of me? The Jewish people and the Samaritans, we don't get along. We don't talk to each other. Jewish people have nothing in common with my people. And so why would you ask me for water? And then Jesus starts doing that Jesus thing he does, where he starts talking in a a weird, clearly metaphorical sense, bringing the conversation in a completely new direction. And he says, if you knew who I was, when I asked you for water, you would in turn ask me for living water. And she says, well, that sounds neat and all, but you don't have a cup or anything? This is a really deep well, and you don't have anything to draw water out, and so I'm not really sure how you think that you're going to be able to give me living water. And then Jesus starts talking a lot about water. And he says, this water, if you drink it, this water out of the well, you're eventually going to be thirsty again. You're eventually going to want something to drink again. But what I have to offer you, you can drink it once and then never be thirsty again. And she says, okay, well, I'll have some of that. I want some of that water that that will never make me thirsty again. I don't ever want to come back to this well again. And then Jesus starts getting personal with her. Because he knows that she's a woman with a past. And because he is who he is, he knows who she is. And so he starts talking to her about her past and and the people that she's been with and the relationships that she's had and the decisions that she's made. And all of a sudden she recognizes that there's something more to Jesus than a guy who has a weird theory about water. And so she starts asking him questions about worship. She says, well, your people, they, they think they worship here. And my people, they think that we're supposed to worship here. And so you are clearly some kind of a prophet. You know deep things, and, and you clearly seem to know me. And so what, what do we do? Where's the right place? What's the right way? And Jesus says, listen, something is coming. In fact, it's already here. That's going to take all of these false divisions all of these sideline things that we've chosen to do, all the things that we think make us different, and it's going to bring us all together, and God's people are going to worship together no matter their past, no matter where they've come from, no matter who they are. They're all going to be able to worship God together in spirit and in truth. And then she says, you know what? I've heard that that there's a Messiah coming. I've heard that someone is coming to bring this to be. And Jesus looked at her and he says, I, who you speak to, am he. I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one that's going to make all of this happen. And what we see is Jesus taking a very common-looking interaction and doing something extraordinary with it. Jesus, seeing this woman who, in most cases, these two people, because of the history of these two people groups, would have never interacted with one another. Jesus takes this opportunity when he meets this woman at the well, and he takes the conversation from something simple like water, and he directs it towards this woman having a new understanding of what it means to worship God and to find salvation through Jesus. And we can look at that, and we can say, well, that's nice, but it's It's Jesus. 
That's just the thing that Jesus did. Of course, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so obviously, he would be able to do that. He would be able to take that conversation and immediately point it towards himself and towards what he came to do for. But I'm not Jesus. It's a lot harder for me to take normal conversations and make them about Christ. It's a lot harder for me to share my faith with people because it's difficult for me to formulate the right words, or I don't know how to say it the right way, or I'm a little shy, or I'm a little awkward, or sometimes I can be distracted, or we can put a list of excuses in that blank, but it comes down to saying, you know what, I'm just, I'm not Jesus. And so, of course, that works for him, but it won't work for me. What's amazing about this story in John chapter 4 is that the gospel, the good news, doesn't stop with this conversation. Because the woman takes what she heard from Jesus and she immediately goes back into her town and she starts telling everybody about this man that she met and she tells them that he is the promised one, that he is the one that's bringing salvation into the world. And through the testimony of this woman, more and more people come to know Jesus And the message of Jesus spreads through the entire town as person after person begins to tell someone else about the good news of Jesus. If you've been here over the last few weeks, you know we're going through this very short series where we're talking about the importance of both sharing our faith and inviting people to come and be a part of our church family. And last week we looked at how we do that in our deep relationships how we see the relationships that God has given us differently and recognize that God has put people in our lives so that we can share this incredible thing that we have with them, so that we can love them and care for them, and also so that we can invite them to come and be a part of our church and so we can tell them about Jesus Christ. And today we're going to talk about being wide in our effort to share the gospel about having the boldness to talk with people that maybe we don't know or don't know well, but still be able to take ordinary, normal conversations, whether it's walking through the checkout line at a gas station or meeting somebody by chance in a store or in the places that we normally find ourselves where we don't speak and don't talk to anyone, taking those opportunities to share the good news of Jesus and doing it through the model of this woman that Jesus met at the well. And so if you're here and maybe you're visiting or this is your first time here or maybe you don't know what it means to follow Jesus, then hopefully this morning we'll be able to talk about what it means to follow after Jesus and how he saves us no matter who we are, that all we have to do is believe in Christ and he makes us new no matter who we are or what we've done. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and maybe have been for a long time, then maybe this can be the encouragement where we know the need to share our faith with our friends and to invite people to come and be a part of what we're doing here. But we just need the motivation and the understanding that God, the God who saves us, has now given us work to do and to be able to see the world through the eyes of Christ as we go and we share this good gift that he's given us. And so we're going to look at John chapter 4, picking up at the end of this story. And we're going to see the response of of this woman that Jesus met with and also the response of Jesus' own disciples. And beginning in verse 27 of John chapter 4, it says, Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town. And said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi or teacher, eat. 
But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white with harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And many more believed because of his word. And I want to read again through verse 42. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this incredible story in John chapter 4. As we see this woman who probably had a reputation, who probably often felt so very far from God because of choices she made, because of decisions that she had gone through, and yet Jesus meets her where she is, loves her as she is, and calls her into something new. And God, for anyone here who's trusted in you for salvation, we were all in that exact same place. All of us had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us had things that not only were we not proud of, but things in our lives that could keep us away from you. And yet you loved us so much that Jesus met us where we were and forgave us and saved us into new life and gave us a new hope and a new forever. And so God, in return, our lives belong to you. And so help us to remember the power of that good news that while we were yet sinners, Christ died, and that anyone who believes in Christ is a new creation. The old is past and the new has come. And God, let that gospel resonate so deeply inside of us that when we leave here today, we can't help but tell everyone that we see about you and about what you've done. And God, give us the courage and the strength to invite people to come and to be a part of what you're doing here at Redeeming Grace. And as people come and as people visit, God, teach us to be really good at loving and caring for one another. Loving each other as you first loved us. And God, we pray that we would see people saved by your grace, baptized and coming into new life. But we need you to give us the boldness, but also to give us the vision and help us to see the world as you see the world. And we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So this is an intense conversation that happens with Jesus and this woman. And I like, as someone who does not always enjoy small talk and has trouble coming up with it, I really like the directness of this conversation. The woman walks up and Jesus says, give me some water. And she says, who are you, and why do you think that you can ask me that? And they just get right down to it, and they start talking about cultural divides. And she says, listen, 
the Jewish people have nothing to do with my people, and we don't really particularly care for each other. We have nothing in common with each other. Why in the world would you ask me this? And then in seemingly minutes, they go from a simple conversation about water to deep conversations about worship and about what it means to follow after God. And we, again, have to understand the depth of the divide between the the two people groups here. And so if you don't know, in this time period, in the first century, the Jewish people and the Samaritan people had a very close ancestry but were not particularly close with one another. In fact, the relationship was so hostile that usually when people were traveling from Judea to Galilee like Jesus was doing, the Jewish people had a tendency to, instead of going through some of these Samaritan towns, they would be willing to cross the Jordan River twice so that they could go around it because that's how little these people cared for each other. And yet Jesus goes right into the heart of this Samaritan town and he meets this woman at the well, but she's not just any woman. Because as Jesus is recounting her history here earlier in chapter 4, she's got quite a history. Because he says to her in verse 16, as he's about to talk to her about worshiping God, he says, go call your husband and come here and I'll talk to both of you. And she answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And then she realizes that something is going on, but also she realizes that he knows exactly who she is. And especially during this time period, a woman with that kind of reputation might have been ostracized from her town and from society, and yet Jesus is meeting with her and having this conversation with her, speaking to her like an equal and telling her about the good news that he came to bring into the world. And this very intense and deep conversation has an incredibly profound ending. Because in verse 25, She said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. He says, I've heard about this Messiah that that your people believe is going to come, and he's going to bring about God's kingdom into this world. He's going to tell us everything that we need to know. And Jesus says, I'm the one. I'm the one you've heard about. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. I'm the one that people have been waiting generations and generations for. I am here. And that was all she needed to know. She met Jesus. She understood the fullness of who he was in that moment. And all of a sudden, her eyes were open, and her reaction is amazing. Listen to this in verses 27 and 28. The disciples come back, and they marvel that Jesus was talking to this woman. But none of them had the guts to walk up and ask what was going on. None of them said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? And listen to verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away to the town and said to the people, come and see this man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And I love sometimes those little phrases that can disappear when we're reading big chunks of scripture because here we're told in the book of John that this woman left her jar and went back to town. And again, that seems like a very small thing and a really strange detail to include. But remember, she came to this well, to find water. That was her whole reason in coming here. She wanted to come and get water, which is incredibly important and incredibly valuable and necessary to life. And she had this jar that was probably, because of the time period, not built for functionality or lightness of travel, but just utilitarian and bulky and awkward to carry. And so she comes with this jar, ready to fill it with water, ready to bring it back to her home, and then she meets Jesus. 
And what happened was true. She said, I want that water that will never make me thirst again. And she was so consumed by what Jesus says that she wasn't worried with what at one point in time was her ultimate priority of getting that water and bringing it home. Now everything had changed and she completely forgot about the task right in front of her because she had to go back and tell everyone about this man that she had met. Meeting Jesus was such a life-changing event for her that all of her other priorities disappeared. She just had to tell somebody. And I wonder, for those of us here this morning that have followed after Jesus, for those that know this gospel that we talk about, this good news, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that God looked at us even though we were sinners, even though we mess up, even though we do things wrong, that he loved us so much that he was willing to give Jesus and that Jesus came and offered himself on our behalf. This amazing story that we tell Sunday after Sunday. I wonder how many times that we come together and worship or we sit down and read scripture and we read the gospel story. I wonder how often it has this effect on us. Where we get done reading God's word. Or we leave a church service after hearing about the good news of Jesus and singing songs, praising God who's willing to leave 99 sheep to find the one, who's willing to abandon everything to bring his children back home. How often do we hear those things and sing those things and confess those things and then walk away thinking, I don't know what I had to do today, but now all I need to do is tell somebody about Jesus. How often do we leave our water behind because we're so overwhelmed by God's goodness? This woman met Jesus, and she tasted that living water, and she was never the same. Everything that she knew, everything that she understood was different, and she had to tell somebody. The disciples, however, had a little bit of a different interaction in the story. And in the middle of Jesus talking to this woman, we see the disciples make their entrance back into this narrative, and it's not quite as exciting and awesome as what's going on in the woman's life. But it's kind of not their fault, because I get where they're coming from. And so I don't know if you've ever had this happen before, but sometimes we can get caught up in a task, whatever that is, whether it's something at work, something around the house, something that we're doing, maybe it's a school project where you have to get something done. And it becomes that ultimate priority. And you get the tunnel vision. You know what I mean? Everything around you kind of looks fuzzy like you're on a roller coaster and your eyes start to black out a little bit. And all you can see is that one thing. And people talk to you and other stuff is going on. And you're sure that the world hasn't completely stopped, but you're not totally confident in that fact. Because all you know is you have to get this done. And people can talk to you and it's just the Charlie Brown voice. You know they're saying things, but the words don't make any sense because you have a goal. And everything else disappears. Or then sometimes maybe this has happened to you. This one's a little more dangerous. If you drive somewhere a lot and you get used to that drive, right? It's the drive you make over and over and over and over again, especially if it's kind of a longer drive and everything is very routine and very systematic, especially if there's not a lot of traffic or turns that sometimes you can be caught up in your thoughts or in anything going on and just the monotony of everything. And you are aware for one moment that you're at this one place and then what feels like moments later, you're in a new place 45 minutes away, and you have no idea how you've gotten there. And it's alarming because you're in a vehicle, and you're pretty sure that you didn't drive through a portal. 
you're almost positive that there was no time travel involved. And so that means that you are driving a vehicle from point A to point B, and you're missing part of that drive in your mind. And so something was on autopilot, and you don't know what happened. And you're pretty sure it's not a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde situation. You're pretty sure that you're not being followed by the police. Now you don't know what exactly has gone on, but you know because of the monotony of that that you went from point A to point B and didn't even really notice it. Because everything else just kind of got blurry and disappeared and you did what you normally do. That's what's going on in the life of the disciples in John chapter 4. They've been walking with Jesus for a while now. They knew Jesus. They had seen all of these things. They had heard Jesus teach. They walked with him. They were close with him. He was obviously special to them. But I'm certain at times that he often felt common to them. They had conversations with Jesus. They spent time with Jesus. They laughed with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. And so this was just a normal day for them. They were walking from Judea to Galilee, and they were going through this little town, and they noticed that Jesus was hungry. And so as good friends and good disciples, they thought, we got to get him something to eat. And so they left to go buy Jesus food. It's a very noble task. And so that's what they had their minds on. They needed to get Jesus something to eat. They had a mission, and they were going to see it through. And then they make it back. And in verse 27, the disciples come back, and they see Jesus by the well, and he's talking to this woman. And they've got all kinds of questions, but they don't really want to ask because, first off, it's Jesus, and they're going to not question anything that he does in this moment. But also, they want to make sure that he eats. And so the woman walks away, and then the disciples enter in. And there's no, hey, what was that about? There's no, who was that? Or why did she look so happy? Or did she realize that she left her water jar behind? Should we catch her and bring her water jar to it? No conversation about the woman at all. They just come up to him, and the first thing they say is, you got to eat, man. You've got to be hungry. We know you're tired. We know you're exhausted, and you have to eat. And then Jesus, again, does that thing that he does, which it's just a beautiful. I wish I could talk this way to people. It's fantastic. In verse 32, he says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And they start thinking about that kind of literally. And thought, well, maybe she brought him food. <laughs> did, uh, did, did you bring him food? I didn't bring him food. Like, I thought we all got this food together. Did somebody bring him food that we don't know about? Is Jesus hiding the food from us? If so, why didn't he just tell us, oh, man, it's cool. I got a sandwich. Why is he saying it in this weird proverbial Jesus sense that he's doing here? Why is he making it mystical and weird? And so they start asking things. And then he goes even further. And he says, no, 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 no. You just don't understand. In verse 34, Jesus says, it's my will, or my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. See, Jesus drops this reality check here, and he helps the disciples understand that they aren't really paying attention to what matters. He says, you're really concerned about me eating here, but you didn't see what just happened. Aren't you paying attention to what happened here? Here was this woman with this history and this past, and she came and she met me, and this is a Samaritan woman, and we're having this interaction. You don't think there's anything weird or special about that. You see her run away and leave her jar behind, and she seems overwhelmed and excited, and yet you don't think anything different. All you're concerned about is, have I had something to eat? Listen, you're thinking in the wrong direction here. Your priorities are out of whack. You're not paying attention. You see, the disciples were so concerned with the mission at hand, and they had become so familiar with what they have seen Jesus do over the course of the ministry that they failed to see what was happening right in front of them. 
They were suffering from that unique tunnel vision of a mission in mind and then the, just the normalcy of everything they've seen around Jesus, that Jesus became commonplace and these interactions became commonplace. And so they didn't even consider that life change had happened right in front of them. All they were thinking about was what was right in front of their face and they missed something amazing happening in their presence. In the same way, the Christian life, church life, in particular, is filled with tasks to accomplish. We have things that we need to do, stuff that needs to get taken care of. We all have roles and responsibilities on Sunday mornings and through the week, whether it's serving a nursery in the band or helping get things set up and ready or going to community groups or whatever. We all have stuff that we do in the life of the church. And we all have responsibilities in our personal life when it comes to reading scripture, when it comes to praying, when it comes to doing the things that God has called us to do. And then add on to that the fact that it does become somewhat repetitious. There is this incredibly beautiful, when we think about it in the right perspective, but also sometimes monotonous religious aspect of Christianity, where we come together on Sundays and we do the same things. We sing songs, we pray prayers, we hear people speak, we hear the word of God, we go out, we have a routine in our lives, and we just work our faith into that routine which is good and important because it helps us continuously grow closer to God and we need that repetition to keep moving in that direction. But if we're not careful, the mission and the task that we put into our lives mixed with the repetition and allowing our faith, allowing Jesus, allowing the gospel, and even allowing church and what happens in church to become normal and commonplace in our lives can take our eyes off of what is really important and what really matters. There's so many things that keep our heads down. Just like the disciples, it's easy to become familiar with what this woman at the well found revolutionary. She heard it for the first time and everything changed. But for the disciples and for a lot of us each and every day, we hear these amazing truths about who Jesus is and we say, oh, that's good. I like that. And then we continue on with our everyday work. And so we have to be careful to not allow duty or familiarity to blind us from the goodness of the gospel and the power of Jesus and also the great need in our world. Because I love the language because Jesus is just so gentle and kind. In the same way that he's gentle with this woman who has this incredible past, he is also gentle with his disciples when they miss the point. He says in verse 35, Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. And see that the fields are white with harvest. He says, guys, pay attention. You've got your, you've got your head down. You've got your, your nose to the grindstone. You're working hard and you're doing good things. And that's nice. But for just a moment, if you would, just lift up your head and look and pay attention. And sometimes we need to hear those words as well. We need to hear Jesus say to us, you're doing a good job and you're doing the things that you're supposed to do and I'm so glad that you go to church every week and that you're spending time in the word and that you're doing these things and you're working and working because that's a beautiful thing. But hey, for just a moment, why don't you just lift up your head and pay attention to what's going on around you and see what's happening because there's been something in the works all around you and there are people who need what you have and so pay attention. See, Jesus is calling us to lift our eyes and see the world like he does. There's another time in Scripture where Jesus talks about this harvest or the rightness of the world to, to hear the gospel. And it comes in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. 
says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And listen to this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You see, when Jesus went into these towns and he saw all the faces of all these people, faces that for everyone else in that town were probably common, or faces that maybe they had never paid attention to before, faces they'd never cared about. When Jesus walked into this town, he didn't see those faces in that way. But he looked at those faces and he saw their need. It says that he had compassion on them because he saw their brokenness. He saw their hurt. He didn't see them as a group of faces, but he saw each individual person as someone in need. And it broke his heart. And he looked at his disciples and he says, look at all of this need around us. We need people who are willing to go out and share the love and mercy of Jesus with them. And so we need to learn to see ordinary encounters with the eyes of Jesus. We talked last week about the importance of seeing the relationships that God has placed in our lives as divine appointments and how our friends and our family and our coworkers and and, and people in our schools and all the people that we're around all the time and the people that we have relationships, they're not there by accident. But God has entrusted us with those relationships to love them and care for them and share with them and invite them. And the same thing is true about these interactions that seem by chance or seem by happenstance. Jesus never saw it that way, and we shouldn't either. And so when we pass somebody, even when we're having bad days, even when we're in a hurry, even when we've got things going on, there is nothing more important than that person right in front of you. And if we love God, the Bible tells us, as we've been looking through 1 John, we're going to get here, the Bible tells us that if we love God, we're going to love other people as well. And so even faces that we've never seen before, even people that we've never met before, when we have those brief interactions, we should take advantage of those things to love them and make them feel loved and make them feel cared for and also invite them into what we have. Because if we do believe the gospel is good news, then we should share it. And if we believe that what God is doing here at Redeeming Grace is good, then we should invite people to be a part of it so they can come in and experience the love and the mercy of God week after week with the church family. We can't be like the disciples and have this tunnel vision and familiarity with what God has done that is extraordinary. But always keep that awe and wonder and allow that awe and wonder to motivate us to share not just with those close, but with those who are wide in our lives, those who we interact with sometimes only for a moment. But God has given us those moments for a reason. And so let's see those moments as Jesus sees those moments. Because this is what happens when people are faithful to do that. We have this woman and she shares. She hears about Jesus, she meets Jesus, she has this incredible encounter with Jesus, and then she goes back into the town and she'll tell anyone who listens and probably everyone who doesn't, she's telling everybody that she can that she's met this man who told her all about her life and also she's pretty sure that he's the Christ. And people hear her and they become curious and they start to go and they look for Jesus because they believe her testimony. And so don't ever think that your story doesn't matter. 
Don't ever think that your words don't have power. Don't ever think that if you don't have some sort of dramatic encounter with God, if you've just met Jesus in the ordinary and your life has always felt very ordinary, don't believe that your story doesn't matter because God uses our stories and our testimonies to bring people to know him. And so she just goes and tells people what happened to her and people wanted to experience that for themselves. And so they start coming to Jesus. And many more people start believing in Jesus, and they go to find Jesus, and they ask him to stay with them for just a few more days, and he does. And I love what they say in verse 42. It says, they say to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And so because of her faithfulness, because of her excitement, because of her joy to share this news with other people, they said, we believed at first because of what you told us, but now we know for ourselves. And now this faith belongs to us because we know that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and all of a sudden it becomes viral through this town, and people start following after Jesus and trusting in Jesus. And it all began with a Samaritan woman telling her people about a Jewish Messiah. And the people flooded to Christ and salvation spread like wildfire. I think this is a really important thing for us to take note of. Because this is an incredibly unlikely circumstance for people to start following after Jesus. Again, Jesus is in a town where he would not have been very welcomed. Among people who didn't like his people because his people didn't like their people. And there was a cultural divide and it doesn't make sense that this is happening. And we have a tendency, I believe, at least I do, and maybe you have this too, to sometimes assume how people will respond to an invitation to church or to a conversation about Jesus. We think, oh, well, maybe this person's too busy and they're not going to take the time to listen, or maybe it's going to be an inconvenience to them, or what if they already have a church that they go to and I'm just going to be wasting their time a little bit because we want them to go to their church where they're plugged in, obviously, or maybe they've been hurt by church and so they don't want to hear anything about going to church and they're not in a place in their life where they want to, or maybe they're going to be hostile, they don't want to hear anything about Jesus, and we start thinking about all these things and all these reasons why people don't want to hear from us. But we can't let our assumptions or our fears, which is usually what that's born out of, get in the way of the gospel. You see, this woman met Jesus, and her assumption is that everyone else would want to as well. Talked about this a couple weeks ago. When we go to a good restaurant, when we have a good experience, when we go somewhere that we think is really awesome or exciting, we want to tell people because we just assume that if I like this thing, you're going to like this thing as well. But for some reason, that's not how we think about the greatest news that we've ever been given. For some reason, when we think about a God who created the universe and loves us individually with an undying love, for some reason, we don't think that anybody else would want to hear that. But we need to learn to change our assumptions, to have this incredible passion and just a a knowing That if we go out and we start telling people about the Jesus that we know, that they're going to want to know him as well. We need to learn to have a gospel optimism instead of a human insecurity. To not allow doubts about how people will respond to an invitation to church or a conversation about Jesus. To get in the way of the fact that we serve a God who is bigger than our fears and doubts. And have the optimism that if I go into this conversation, if I put myself out there, if I invite someone, if I share my faith with them, if I love and serve somebody, that Jesus is going to be able to do the work. 
And that when I put myself out there like that, maybe somebody won't believe, maybe somebody won't come, but I know that eventually someone will. And then one day I'll get to experience that same thing that the woman experienced at the well when somebody who I invited to church or someone who I share my faith with would be able to say, you know what, I came because you invited me. I started into this thing because you told me about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, but I don't need your testimony anymore because I have my own. And now I believe and I know that Jesus is the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world and who's brought salvation. We should have that confidence, not only in the invitation and the sharing of the gospel, but that one day we'll leave a legacy for the kingdom of God. That because of our faithfulness, because of our excitement, because of our passion for the gospel and our willingness to share and our assumption that people are going to hear the good news of Jesus and come to follow after Jesus, that we'll be able to one day look back and see a legacy of salvation in our wake, knowing that just through our obedience, God has done something beyond what we could ever imagine. But that's not going to happen if we let the questions and we let the doubts and we let the insecurities and we let the assumptions get in the way. We need to have the same gospel optimism that the woman at the well has, that you know what? This was amazing, and there's nothing like it, and so everyone is going to want to hear about this Jesus who loves us. You see, we have the greatest gift that could ever be given, the best news that could ever be heard, and we live in the easiest time to share it. We are so incredibly well-connected now in a way that the world never has been before. And so our wide is wider than any other generation. When Jesus tells up to look and see that the fields are white with harvest, we have the ability to see across the world the need that there is. And the fields are still white. There are still people who need to hear the good news of the gospel. And if you're here this morning and, and you haven't heard that before, this is the truth. This is why we're so excited about this, because God loved us so much that no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what mistakes we've made, no matter how far we've fallen away, no matter how harsh we've been or how hard we've been towards God, that he loves us so much that if anyone just trusts in Jesus, that Jesus did all the hard work for us, that he was willing to die for us so that we could have forgiveness of sins. And then we have this picture in the Bible that three days later, Jesus rose from the dead to promise that anyone who believes in Christ will have that same promise. That John tells us in the chapter just before this, that anyone who believes in Jesus won't perish, will have everlasting life, that we'll be with God forever. And if you've never trusted in Jesus and followed in Jesus before, if you've never been baptized before, then please don't leave here without talking with me or one of our other elders or, or one of our community group leaders about what it means to follow after Jesus. If you're here and you know that, then know that there are people outside of these walls that need to hear that, and that you have been entrusted with that gift, that I have been entrusted with that gift, with that message, that it's our responsibility to go out and to share the good news of the gospel. And so we need to learn to see nothing as common or coincidence, no interactions or no people. We need to learn to have that gospel optimism of knowing that if this has this profound impact on me, if Jesus can save somebody like me and give me a new hope for this eternity with him, then everybody is going to want to know about that and hear about that. And then we need to have a passion for growth in the life of our church, to see people like what was happening in Acts chapter 2 where people are being brought in and saved and that baptisms are happening day after day after day. And taking these opportunities to see strangers 
become friends and family in the kingdom of God. And so use the opportunities that you're given this week. As you run into somebody for the first time, when you have a moment where you're just making small talk in line or in a place where you normally go and you meet someone for the first time or you're passing through a drive-thru or, or through the cashier line, wherever you find yourself, look at those opportunities as exactly that. And take advantage of that time that God has given you and share the love of Christ. Let these people feel loved and welcomed and cared for because of that brief interaction with you and move that conversation as quickly as possible to Jesus and invite him to church. Because God has given us the church for that purpose, to love and to care for each other. And I believe we got a really good one here, and I love what we do here. And so invite someone to come to church with you so that they can experience that and so that we can all love them as well and we can help people grow in their walk with Christ and in their faith. But let's take advantage of these moments that we're given. Not ever seeing anything as coincidence, but seeing everything that happens in our life as divine appointment and as an opportunity to tell somebody about the most life-changing news that could ever be given. That God loves us and gave himself for us so that we can be his children and live with him forever. And so let's be those gospel ambassadors sharing our faith and inviting people to church at every moment. And then see what God does as we are faithful in following him. Let's pray.